1: Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. It's smart mobile accounting designed specifically for freelancers and small business owners. You can try FreshBooks for thirty days on us with no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com/sports and enter "sports" in the "How you heard about us" section.
2: That the only real leverage at FIFA was in the sponsors who write the checks and who ultimately fund this organization. Sponsors of, you know, press releases calling for reform and things like that, but they're still writing the checks.
3: But I think it depends who wins the election, how much the rules are enforced and what kind of culture is set from the top. Set Blatter always set a culture from the top that he wasn't going to crack down on bad actors. So Whoever comes in, uh, I think, needs to be able to do that, or otherwise it will be business as usual. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week
1: we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall in Zurich, SI.com's Brian Strauss in Washington, D.C., and SI.com's James Young in Brazil. That's right, three continents, one podcast. We're making... Making uh, a new definition of planet football, really. Uh, before we get started, I just want to make a special mention of last week's podcast. Uh, it was Grant interviewing JP Delacamera, um, legendary US soccer announcer. Uh, the plan wasn't for that to go as long as it did and be as extensive as it was, but their talk was, was so, uh, just, it was enthralling. I, I got a kick out of listening to all these stories from JP's career. I loved how at the end he just threw in this nugget about how he called an a, a indoor soccer game with Martin Tyler. Uh, in England, just out of the blue. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance uh, yet, definitely go back and listen to that. You can find it on iTunes uh, or or on Planet Football or on SoundCloud or Stitcher. Um, definitely worth a listen. Um, but now turning our attention to the matters of this week. Um, Grant, uh, you are in Zurich for the FIFA election, which uh, we're, we're going to start with. And we'll we'll go to some Copa America talk after that. Uh, lots to get into, lots going on in the world of soccer but first, Grant, I just want to get your take on on the scene there right now. Uh, we're taping this the day before the FIFA election.
3: Yeah, I got here Wednesday morning. Uh, it's now Thursday afternoon. Election is Friday. Uh, lots of media here from all over the world, particularly Europe. Uh, I was laughing yesterday because Jerome Champagne probably has just about the least chance to win this election. He's one of the five candidates, but he had this scrum of probably 40 media people and cameras surrounding him he, like he was a rock star uh, outside the hall where this is taking place. And this was a guy I was just kind of hanging out with one-on-one in Antigua last month. Uh, the media here is a, a large force uh, around the candidates. Uh, this is the first time I've ever been on site for a FIFA election. I've seen it uh, from a, a distance in the past, but uh, not a lot of news, to be honest. Uh, it's cold here. It's snowing. Uh, and everyone's sort of getting keyed up and ready for, for what comes next on, on Friday. And there's a real uncertainty. We don't know who's going to win this election. It's going to be either Johnny Infantino or Sheik Salman. And uh, we'll have to wait and see how things play out. Obviously, more buzz around uh, this
1: election than perhaps in, in the past. Everything that happened surrounding the election last May when Sepp Blatter won after all of the arrests at the Borlaq Hotel. So much has happened since then. Blatter uh, Ladder, Michelle Platini—they've both been banned. That was reduced from eight years to six years, uh, just in time for the Qatar World Cup. How how convenient! Um, and and obviously, you know, this election is is supposedly about reform and taking FIFA into this new place, and and all of these rainbows and unicorns. And and maybe it happens. Maybe maybe it doesn't. James, I, I want to welcome you in first time uh, on the podcast. So thank you for for joining us. Um, I guess Brazil can, can play a role in, in this Commonwealth has, has put its, uh, you you know, you wonder if, if these continents are going to vote in, in a certain block or not, but Brazil has, has kind of gone out on their own and said, they're going to support Sheikh Salman here. Uh, and and Brazil's role in this scandal has, you know, the last few months has been huge too, with a lot of, a lot of high ranking officials, I guess, just what, what is the country's role in, in all of this and, and how is everything being perceived there?
0: Well, uh, I think Brazil has a, a long-standing and, and, and deeply complicated relationship with with corruption, being a, be it political or, or in this case, in, in the world of football. Uh, I think it's perhaps the country that is, you could argue, benefited the most from from the FBI investigations because they've they've uncovered the, uh, the kind of institutionalized corruption of the of the CBF, the local uh, local soccer federa- federation. Um, Brazil's in a, in a strange situation. It's, it's, it's a developing nation with, with all the, the, the problems that can come along with that, such as political corruption and, and, and cronyism. But it has this, this, this huge asset, which is the, the national football team, uh, the seleção, as they're called here. So the combination of these two things led to this this culture of, uh, of, of corruption and, and, and financial gain, individual financial gain at the C V F. Which, as we've seen, the FBI has now, now uncovered in the form of uh, arrests or, or investigations into the last three CBF presidents: uh, Ricardo Teixeira, Jose Marin, and, and now uh, Marco Polo Del Nero. So, by bringing about change in in in, in the structure of power in, in the Brazilian domestic game, the FBI has done has done the country a great a great service. We hope. Uh, in terms of the uh, the FIFA elections, yeah. To some extent, that that's Brazil's behavior in this in the elections kind of sums up a lot of how things work here. Uh, as you say, the the, uh, the Commonwealth bloc was very much leaning towards uh, Infantino, but now there's the suggestion that, that Brazil might go, go the other way with, with Sheikh Salman.
3: And apparently the reason
0: for that is simply that they don't want to be on the losing side. They want to, They want to back the winner. So that may then lead to Commonwealth to go with them, which could lead to, to, to a major change in, in how the votes go down on, on Friday.
1: Uh, Grant, now as, as far as the USA is, is concerned, um, you've, you've reported this, that that they're not going to publicly endorse a candidate, but there are two that that they were looking at most likely supporting, and then there's one that they definitely don't want to win. I guess what's what's the USA's... Approach at this, um, and and ultimately, what do you think? I um, guess Don Garber is the one that's going to be casting the vote on behalf of the U.S. Uh, is is going to do.
3: Well, it's interesting to compare the U.S.'s approach to the one it had last May for that election. Uh, in that one, they came out and before the election endorsed Prince Ali against Sepp Blatter. They wanted to make a statement uh, against Blatter and and for the reform that Prince Ali was for. In this election, the U.S. is not publicly endorsing a candidate. And, you know, I, th- there's criticism of that. You know, if you're going to be part of cleaning up the game, why can't you take a stand and choose someone? Uh, and I think the reason for that is uh, there's a, a close personal friendship between Sunil Gulati, the president of U.S. soccer, and Prince Ali. And so I suspect that in the first round, the U.S. will vote for Prince Ali. Uh most observers, including me, don't think Prince Ali has close to the votes he needs to win this election. He's the number three candidate, and, uh, and yet he could still influence the outcome of the election if he is removed from uh, the process in later rounds for not getting enough votes. Who do his supporters go for? And I could see the U.S. voting for Infantino in rounds two and potentially beyond uh, the U.S. wants to be on the winning end. They definitely do not want Sheikh Salman to win, and so uh, I could see the U.S. opening with a Prince Ali and then going to Infantino from there. Um, Brian, I want to bring you in now.
1: Uh, you know, this this is all about this reform. Do you actually see anything changing ultimately?
2: Um, you know, I've I've sort of thought for several years now that. The, the culture of of corruption and self enrichment at FIFA is so deep that they almost don't even realize you know that 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 there's anything sort of sort of sketchy or untoward about the way they behave. And my feeling has been for a while now that the only real leverage uh, at FIFA, you know, without considering what Loretta Lynch was up to, but you know the, the, you know the, that the only real leverage at FIFA was in the sponsors who write the checks. And who ultimately fund this organization? And while they haven't really signed up any new sponsors over the past couple of years, uh, you know, sponsors have, have have issued you know press releases calling for reform and things like that. But they're still writing the checks and they're still supporting this organization. So, you know, whether it's Infantino or Salman or any of these, these are still insiders. These are still FIFA guys. These are still people who want power and who need to cater to the people who give it to them in order to keep it. Um, and so for me, you know, as long as, as long as these companies are writing checks to FIFA, um, as long as they don't take a stand, um, I don't see much changing. Um, but then, of course, you, you add in the, the, the investigations in the U.S. and Switzerland, and maybe that'll be enough to strike fear into the, some of these people. But in the end, uh, as long as FIFA is funded, uh, I, I see mostly it, it being business as usual.
1: Grant, you've spoken to four uh, of the five candidates. Do you get a, a genuine feel, um, especially from, from Infantino, given that he's, he's one of the favorites here, um, that he could be a, a, a difference than, than what's been in the past and, and just this rule of, of corruption?
3: Well, I think there are differences between the two favorites, Infantino and Sheik Salman. You know, Sheik Salman is a guy who has said publicly he doesn't think soccer has nearly as big a problem with corruption as other sports like track and field. And that suggests to me that we're looking at very business as usual stuff if Sheik Salman wins. Um, Infantino, on the other hand, has never been... Uh, implicated in any sort of wrong wrongdoing. He is the right-hand man of Michel Platini, who is suspended from all soccer things for accepting a payment from the also suspended set bladder. But Infantino was not part of that deal. Uh, Infantino has been a part of UEFA for a long time. And yes, he's an insider, but he's uh, supervised uh, a, a pretty huge amount of growth in revenues at UEFA. And I think I agree with him in the sense that Infantino thinks FIFA could be doing Uh, could be earning a lot more money than it currently does if it had such things like a a global FIFA satellite channel that I think people would pay money for. Uh, He also is very much for uh, cutting costs for FIFA events. Uh, He thinks it's crazy how much money gets spent on these congresses uh, with the per diems and bringing in uh, voters from all over the world. Uh, I think it's also important to bring up the reforms that are being voted on on Friday as well because this is a pretty sweeping set of... Governance reforms that include things like term limits for 12 years for the FIFA president and and executive committee, uh, increasing the executive committee from 25 members to 36 and calling it the FIFA Council, but requiring that at least six of those members be women, which I think is a, a good step in the right direction that actually needs to be stronger in the future. Uh, instituting very strict background checks, which they say are strict, but also Sheikh Salman was able to pass, which is, makes them, to me, a little dubious. Uh, you know, things that uh, should push the direction more into the 21st century, but I think it depends who wins the election, how much the rules are enforced and what kind of culture is set from the top. Set Blatter always set a culture from the top that he wasn't going to crack down on bad actors. So whoever comes in uh, I think needs to be able to do that or otherwise it will be business as usual.
1: Well, Sepp said it wasn't his job to, to manage these these people. These are they're just acting on their own. Come on, give, give him a break. What's, what's he ever done? Come on. Uh, um, I, I want to get one thing from, from each of you guys. What's, what's one thing um, James, let's let's start with you. Um, that the, the next FIFA president must deal with uh, in the first 90 days, just just off the bat, um, you know make a statement. What's what's one thing?
0: Uh, well, I, I thought Brian's point was was really interesting about uh, how can you reform uh, what is seen as a corrupt investigation from within when when most of the people involved in that institution will be uh, be very used to the to the way that things work. So how can you bring about very real change from within? And also the the fact that that uh, external candidates are. Are very rare though i was thinking about zico Zico's was a kind of abortive attempt to become a become a candidate it was never really taken seriously and so you don't see see very many uh, outside uh candidates so i suppose what the new president has to do is give some kind of a sign that things have changed this is going to sound very abstract but whether that's through the appointment of, of, of new people someone who suggests a really a real kind of new broom uh atmosphere or the setting up of serious reform committees again using External, external individuals, external authorities—just something concrete to show that the the old days of kind of uh, of, of secret meetings and handshakes and, and and brown envelopes and and so on are gone. Um, so, so someone who, who will give a new look to FIFA and not just be another another FIFA suit, if you uh, if you understand the expression.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian, what do what do you think? What's uh, what's one must-have thing or must-do thing uh, for? The next FIFA president?
2: Uh, release the entire Garcia report, no redactions, uh, no edits uh, into the, uh, the, the bidding for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. Um, and this is out of my realm of expertise, but what w- re- release financial figures. I want to know what these guys are paid. I want to know what everyone at FIFA, the president, Uh, the the executive committee, the secretaries, the janitors. I want to know what their salaries are. I want to know what their per diems are. I want to know how much they're spending on on room service sushi at their hotels. Uh, All the financial figures, the entire World Cup report online day one. That would be a good sign.
1: That would certainly go uh, a long ways in establishing some transparency. Uh, Grant, what about you? What do you think?
3: I agree with Brian, release the Garcia report in its entirety. I don't expect that there's actually that many smoking guns in there, if any. Uh, The word I had always gotten was that there was nothing in the Garcia report that would actually cause Qatar to lose the World Cup. But it would still be uh, a real show that uh, they're willing to actually release some things to the light that haven't been able to be seen before. I think also whoever becomes president, they have to name a general secretary is going to basically be a CEO of the organization. And whoever is named needs to be uh, someone who's qualified for it, who who makes people feel good about the direction that FIFA is heading. Uh, they'll be replacing uh, a general secretary in Jerome Valk, who has been banned from the sport for uh, taking all sorts of private plane trips that he shouldn't have and falsifying expense reports. And that's kind of the tip of the iceberg with him, So uh, I think naming a general secretary, uh, you know, pick the right one.
1: Definitely. Um, now, b- before we move on uh, to some, some lighter, more uh, exciting talk about what's, what's coming to the U S this summer. Uh, Grant, it's, is it
3: true that some of these executives are still staying at the Borla hotel? Yes, it is the famous five-star uh, hotel here in Switzerland, where, uh, Two sets of arrests have already been made last May and in December. Uh, no arrests so far this week. I, at this point, I'm starting to wonder if, if it may not happen this week. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're still staying there. Uh, at least a lot of the the officials in town are. Um, and I got to say, for me, I spent a lot of time at the Borlack. The Last time I was in Zurich in 2010, that was when uh, Qatar and Russia were so controversially awarded the World Cup hosting rights. And it just sort of... Uh, it was it just felt sleazy. Five star sleazy the whole thing. I remember being in the Borlak Hotel uh, the night, uh, you know, after the announcements for Qatar and Russia were made. Uh, and just observing the scene made me want to take a shower. Uh, it was funny because the the England FA guys who had lost in their bid for 2018 were sort of licking their wounds in one corner of the room I was in, and these three African uh, FIFA executive committee members went over and, and, all of them told the England guys that they had voted for them. And the England guys just sort of shook their heads because they knew they had only gotten two votes. Um, so, you know, clearly somebody was lying. So, uh, Sunil Gulati has always said that only believe someone when they tell you that they didn't vote for you, not when they told you that they did. So, uh, we'll see if that, uh, that principle holds up on Friday can't believe they're still staying at that hotel
1: this is you're just asking for it i i think the over-under on arrests uh for loretta lynch was set at five and a half on uh on bovada (laughs) i think i think that's what i had seen for friday uh we'll we'll see what what actually happens but uh but any in any event uh interesting times ahead for fifa and uh whether or not anything actually changes um you know look it'll manifest itself uh, in the upcoming months and years. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with talk about Copa America Centenario. Given everything that's happened at FIFA uh, over the last decade plus, it's it's safe to say that they probably could have used some help with bookkeeping, maybe taking care of some of their taxes, looking after their numbers a little more closely. Uh, unfortunately for them, FreshBooks wasn't around when when all of this started, but now it definitely is. And for the best way to manage your books and make tax season easy, you should get FreshBooks. It's a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices extremely simple for freelancers and small business owners. FreshBooks stands out where it really counts, getting you paid. You can create and send professional invoices in just 30 seconds. You'll see exactly when your client looked at the invoice you've emailed, tracking the status of all of our outstanding invoices for you. FreshBooks can even send late payment reminders to your clients automatically, which means you're not wasting time chasing down and fighting clients for payment. The results speak for themselves. FreshBooks users get paid five days faster on average. Don't just take my word for it. Right now, FreshBooks is offering our listeners 30 days of unrestricted use, totally free, and you don't need a credit card to sign up. Just go to freshbooks.com slash sports and enter sports in the How You Heard About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash sports and enter sports in How You Heard About Us segment. Every week on the SI Media Podcast, Richard Deitch speaks with top sports journalists, and this week he has Gab Marcotti of ESPN and the Times of London. If you follow soccer, you've definitely heard, seen, or read something that Marcotti has done. So, listen to the SI Media Podcast with Richard Deitch on iTunes, Stitcher, or si.com slash podcast. All right, welcome back. I uh, want to turn the page in and talk about Copa America Centenario. Grant, you and I were, were at the draw, this, uh, this just Woohoo! lovely, lovely draw event at uh, the Hammerstein Ballroom in Manhattan, where there was dancing, there was uh, ploys to sell tickets, and then, of course, the actual groups uh, themselves. Group A, the USA, Colombia, Costa Rica, Paraguay. Group B, Brazil, Ecuador, Haiti, Peru. Group C, Mexico, Uruguay, Jamaica, Venezuela, and Group D, Argentina, Chile, Panama, and
3: Bolivia. Uh, Grant, what'd you think of the draw first? Well, we, we enjoyed sitting next to each other and sort of chuckling at our Twitter feeds as, as the festivities went on. I mean, the genre of soccer draws is a, a very remarkable and strange thing. Uh, and they all seem to be sort of the same. You get a couple of random musical groups. Uh, you get uh, you know mass calls to, to cheer from uh, an MC uh, you know when the TV broadcast come back comes back on, uh, there's you know a lot of other a lot of stuff going on that has nothing to do with the actual reason that everyone is there. And so uh, you you're kind of sitting there hoping that you know just get to the teams already, you know I mean you compare it to the NCA tournament, selection Sunday and and they get the teams out there and tell you which brackets they're in. But, um, you know, we're used to it. Uh, I actually thought it was kind of a good thing that in the past we've often seen a, a lot of bikini clad women on stage for these things and, and basically treating women as objects. And, uh, this one wasn't quite as bad as some of those things are. So Yay, I guess. <laughs>
1: Steps in the right direction. There was one dance performance where the jackets looked like they were straight out of a Saved by the Bell episode, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> just tremendous. Um, James, how is this tournament being perceived in, in Brazil? It's a big summer with the Olympics uh, going on as as well, and obviously uh, Brazil fell to Mexico in the gold medal game. In London, There's there's a lot of anticipation that they'll win gold medal for the first time this summer, but then there's Copa America as well, which isn't you know, necessarily as, as big of, of a deal as other ones, given that there's no Confederations Cup ticket on the line. There's, you know, the, all the CONCACAF teams are involved. I, I guess, what's the feeling down there?
0: Uh, not, not a huge amount of enthusiasm or excitement as yet, I'd have to say. First of all, as you mentioned, because of the Olympics, uh, that's, that's kind of going to take priority. Brazil always talk about that competition as being the only major event that they, they haven't won they have a dubious relationship with the, the Cup America to begin with. I think, I think possibly because of their, 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 their World Cup success, it's, it's kind of become something of a, a second priority for them. Uh, they've done very badly the last two, two competitions. And uh, I'm not sure if it's something we're going to get onto in a second, but, but there have uh, been the announcement today that, that Neymar was going to play in the, uh, in the Olympics probably rather than, than in, in the, in the Cup of America, which gives you gives some idea of, of how they're prioritizing things.
1: That'd be that'd be shocking, given how much Neymar's face has been on everything regarding this tournament. Um, you know, the, they've they've used his image and, and his highlights and and everything in every ad, promotional piece, uh, every press release. Uh, so if that if those reports you know hold, I mean, I mean <laughs> that would, would frankly suck for the American public who are going to try and go to these games. But what uh, what would that do for Brazil's chances in that in this tournament? I mean, he's he's such a big deal of that team big part of that team
0: oh, absolutely i think that the last two two complications i've covered for for sports Illustrated, the, the world cup and then the uh the cup america last year uh, most of the conversation revolved around in brazil was was are they a one-man team or not and how dependent are they on neymar uh they have they've, they've plenty of, of talented players going forward uh douglas cost has come in has done quite well and so on but the heartbeat of the team is is, is neymar so yeah, we saw a couple of times during the Copa America I think how limited they are in in terms of going forward without his uh, his, his flair and his and his pace and his brain. So yeah, you could imagine they would struggle quite quite seriously without him.
1: Yeah, I mean that changes the whole the whole dynamic of, of the tournament. Honestly, um, Brian, the the USA drew uh, a pretty interesting group: Colombia, Costa Rica, Paraguay. Um, of the options that were there in the draw, this. Might have been the toughest one, um, you know, maybe mix and match uh, one from the second pot instead of Columbia. But uh, wh- what do you think of their chances in in this group?
2: Uh, I think they're OK. I, I had I had trouble when I was sort of going through all the permutations uh, looking for a group that the U.S. shouldn't finish at least second in. Um, and, and this is a group the U.S. should finish second in. Uh, the, the, you know, pa- Paraguay has had a rough year. Uh, that's not a team that can score a lot of goals. Uh, Costa Rica is a team that the U.S. in competitive matches usually defeats at home. Um, and Colombia is going to be the favorite. And so, you know, b- before the draw came out, I would have, I would have, you know, there's some pressure on Jurgen Klinsman, obviously, after last year, and 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 he's got a He's got to build a team and, and, and a back four uh, that, that can sustain this. But, you know, talent-wise, home field advantage, uh, this, is, this is a group the U.S. should be expected to get out of and finish second. Um, the reason I think Neymar's absence is such a big deal is because, you know, however you sort of see this tournament playing out, it's hard to see the U.S. avoiding Brazil in the quarterfinals. I mean, Brazil should still be expected to win their group. Like I said, it's 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 hard to see the U.S. Uh, winning its group, but I would expect them to finish second, and so that gives us a quarterfinal between Brazil and the U.S. Uh, at the Meadowlands. Um, and if Neymar not, you know, with Neymar, you know, I I think the Americans go out of the tournament. Without Neymar, uh, if if Brazil's lacking ideas, if the U.S. you know a few things go right, you know, maybe things are possible there for 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 Klinsmann's team to make a b- bigger run. So. I think Neymar's absence, while it may hurt ticket sales, I think will help the U.S. ultimately. And I think the U.S. has no excuse uh, not to get the results against Costa Rica and Paraguay that they need uh, to get out of this group.
1: Just, I would agree with you. It's just everything that happened last summer in the Gold Cup kind of gives you pause, right? I mean, they, they couldn't beat Panama. They couldn't beat Jamaica. And this was on home soil. They lost to Costa Rica, granted, in a game that they were probably sleepwalking through given everything that uh, that had preceded it. Um, so why, I think we, we used to take those results for granted. Now, I don't know that, that they have the benefit of the the doubt as much anymore. Um, until
2: until last summer is until last summer is not an outlier. It's an outlier. Um, if it happens again, then yeah, then, then, then you really got to look to Klinsman and look, look to the way he's built this team and look to the, 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 you know, the way he's been unable to sort of create a, a a a reliable and consistent tactical identity for this team and yeah then you really start to say okay what's going on here but as of now last summer is an outlier um and he has several months uh he's got two qualifiers against guatemala next month he'll have a camp before the, the Copa america he has the lessons he hopefully learned last summer uh, about constructing a team and, and and relying on an inexperienced back four, um, you know, he 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 will get the benefit of the doubt until he doesn't. That's just the way, it, you know. Sunil Gulati has sort of set things up here. So, like I said, it's an outlier until it's not. Paraguay and Costa Rica are beatable teams. The U.S. should be expected to beat these teams at home and finish second in its group. And if they fail to do that, then I agree with everything you're saying.
1: Fair enough. Um, before we get to some way too early group predictions, Grant, I want to get your your thoughts on on maybe some of the the under the radar games uh, in the group stage. Obviously, Argentina, Chile is going to stand out. Mexico, Uruguay is going to stand out. Uh, any any group games that uh, that really strike you uh, after seeing these this this lineup in the draw?
3: Well, for starters, USA, Costa Rica in game two at Soldier Field in Chicago could have a lot writing on it as far as survival in the tournament. And uh, these are two teams that know each other extremely well. Uh, Like Brian said, the U.S. has the big advantage over the years in competitive games on U.S. soil against Costa Rica. Uh, But at the same time, uh, there's no fear of the U.S. team anymore, including in games in the United States. And I think a lot of that's the result of what happened in the Gold Cup last year and in the friendly where Costa Rica beat the U.S. You look at the U.S.'s group and you've got World Cup 2014 quarterfinalists in Colombia and Costa Rica. You've got Paraguay, which reached the quarterfinals in World Cup 2010. That's that's a pretty difficult group based on that. That said, in, in terms of current form, uh, you know, Colombia hasn't uh, been playing as well recently. Uh, Paraguay missed the last World Cup. Uh, Costa Rica hasn't been playing uh, that great either. Uh other games, uh, to me, Brazil-Haiti is going to be potentially a blowout, but it will at least kind of be a, a fun environment and has a lot of history behind it. Uh, Haiti has always been a huge fan of Brazil. And, and back in 2004, there was a famous match for peace that the Brazil national team, the world champions at the time, played in Haiti, uh, where you had Ronaldo and Roberto Carlos and Ronaldinho uh, playing in 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 a, you know, kind of a rickety old stadium. And it was just a really neat moment uh, to help with relief funds. Um, you know, uh, I, I guess I would throw those out there. Argentina, Chile is going to be fun just because it's a rematch of the Copa America final from last year. Uh, I have to wonder how the Chileans feel about this tournament. My guess is they aren't big fans of it and think of it as just a marketing exercise just because they're the defending champion. Uh, they won at home last year. And now here's this other sort of imposter Copa America tournament that they feel is being done for marketing purposes. And they want everyone to know, you know, we're the Copa America champions and we weren't even seated for this tournament for marketing reasons.
1: Yeah, which you would think is is the least that, uh, that the two confederations could have done for them uh, after their performance at home uh, last summer. Um, All right. It's it's early. We don't we don't know these rosters obviously yet. Um, Neymar, if, if he's there or if he reportedly is not, that's a game changer. But that's not going to stop us from getting into some uh, some early group predictions. Uh, so James, uh, let's start with you. Give me uh, the two teams you think are going to make it out um, of each group. Uh, okay, it's hard to look beyond the
0: favorite favorites. Colombia have been struggling. Uh, Recently, they were they were poor at the Copa America, and they're not doing particularly well in South American World Cup qualifying. So maybe a surprise there. Maybe USA and um, one of the others. Maybe maybe Colombia miss out, and it's USA and Costa Rica. Group B Brazil Ecuador hard to look beyond those two. Group C the same Mexico Uruguay Venezuela are, are in, in a real state of chaos, uh, and Group D again Argentina Argentina Chile. So far, it's good, that it's hard to look on the favorites, i
1: would Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, when you do look at the draw, there's there's definitely a a a top tier of, of each group, right? Um, but that hasn't stopped uh, other, you know, Jamaica from making a, a run to the Gold Cup final uh, last summer, and, and Panama obviously um, finishing third. Uh, Brian, what, what do you think? Do you have a, a different take on on, on the group's?
2: I don't. Sorry, uh, you know, I'm not much of a gambling man because I'm a I'm a terrible terrible loser. But uh, certainly, if I would I would bet on, you know, I I like I said I think Colombia and the U S will get out of a and then and then the favorites and the rest of them. I mean, for me, th- this tournament, especially if Neymar is gone, uh, this tournament really is about Leo Messi and Argentina. Uh, Argentina hasn't won a, 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 a major honor at the senior level since winning the Copa America in 1993. I mean, it's 20 plus years. I mean, it's been a long time for, you know, they lost the World Cup final. They lost the Copa America final to Chile. You know, Messi has won Olympic gold. He won a under-20 World Cup, I believe, but is still searching for his first major honor. And time's running out for him. Uh, you know, he maybe you know, has the ne- next World Cup, uh, you know, to sort of break that streak. And I, it means a lot to him. He wants to win something with his country. And so, you know, I I think this tournament is gonna to be about uh, that quest for him and, and Argentina to make up for uh two lost finals to see if they can finally put together and, and win a trophy. Um so you know, we'll see that play out in the in the knockout rounds. I think the the group stage is gonna be pretty perfunctory.
1: I think that's a fantastic point, Grant. Uh what do you think? Any any different take on, on how these groups will play out? Any any wild cards? Paraguay to win it all?
3: I'll stay away from picking groups until actually I know which teams, you know, who, which players are going to be coming for which teams. Uh, I will say this. I think the U.S. will find a way to get out of its group. Uh, the U.S. tends to perform better historically for a long time when uh, it's a tougher group as opposed to when they're expected to emerge. So if they can get out of that World Cup 2014 group, I think they can here on home soil. Um, you know, I, I like Argentina to win this. I think they're going to send one of their top teams Uh, They don't care as much about the Olympics. They've won it a lot. They haven't won a major trophy in a long time at senior level. So I could see Messi really focusing uh, on on this tournament. Um, And then, you know, I would just say don't sleep on Uruguay. Uh, That's a team that uh, uh, they're hard to beat, but they've also got a tremendous amount of talent. And uh, that's a pretty good combination in tournament soccer.
1: Luis Suarez is also playing just the best soccer of his career. Right now he might be... I mean, look, if he was on any other team, you might be able to compare him to, uh, you know, say that he's, he's got a, a, a shot at a, at a Ballon orb perhaps, but he's also playing in the Messi Ronaldo era and he's playing against Messi or playing with Messi and Neymar. So it kind of, kind of loses the individuality of what he's doing. Um, but he's, he's just playing out of his mind. Um, and if he can bring that form this summer to the U S then yeah, it's, it's all there for the taking. Um. All right, well, I think that's gonna wrap it up uh, for us. One final thought for me though it is funny to to you know we're talking about these two subjects, FIFA election and Copa America how two how the two are just intrinsically linked, right? I mean, this tournament almost didn't happen because of all of the corruption that was uh, that was tied to it the the hundreds of millions of dollars in, in marketing bribes. Um, yet here we are on on the cusp of another FIFA election and and this tournament is as all systems go for now. Uh, so we'll uh, definitely look forward to that this summer um i want to thank all of you guys for joining us from all of your different places on the planet grant wall in zurich brian strass in dc and james young in brazil for alex abnos our producer i am avi creditor we will talk to you next week on the planet football podcast